Good evening, everybody. Welcome to episode 21, season two of Learn Life UAE. Uh, today's the 22nd of February. Uh, many of us have just had a half term last week. However, lots of uh, educators across the region weren't fortunate enough to actually have a half term. So I take my hat off to you guys for keeping on going whilst you have the students with you. Um, tonight's episode is all about modelling in a hybrid approach. Uh, those of you, before I introduce our, our two guests this evening, uh, we have a little discussion about um, their experiences over the last 50 weeks, uh, if not longer, uh, in terms of uh, online learning. Uh, we'll notice that uh, my co-host is not here this evening. Uh, Mark is not very well this week. So um, first point of order from me is to just uh, give a little shout out to Mr. Anderson. And I hope you get better soon. Um, I look forward to seeing you back on the show next week. Um, anybody that's new, please do hit the subscribe button. Uh, I always forget, as does uh, my co-host Mark, if it's down on that side or this side, but please do hit the subscribe so that you do not miss an episode. So tonight we're going to look then at modelling in a hybrid approach. And I think it's fair to say that educators across the globe, not just in this region, have done a fantastic job of adapting to what is only really referred to as the new normal. So I'm really keen to listen to how um, Lua and Matt have adapted their teaching um, to a hybrid approach. Um, what's worked really well for them, what hasn't quite worked so well, because if we're, we're honest and realistic, not everything always goes according to, um, to plan. Um, and teaching is about being responsive to the needs of your learners in that particular moment. So I'm really keen to hear how our two guests have adapted. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, Mark, I hope you're well. It's great to see you uh, watching from home, and I look forward to having a chat with you very soon, my good friend. Um, you know, modelling is something that's been around for a very long time, and whilst um, our, our current situation has changed, the students in front of us still need um, that learning to be modelled to them. And something that's always stuck out to me, and um, certainly in the last almost year now, was this. Uh, report from the Education Endowment Foundation, um, their rapid evidence assessment on remote learning. And, and the first point I think is a massively important point that the teaching quality is more important than how our lessons are actually delivered. And I think that is that's key really for all, all learners during that remote or hybrid phase. Um, and it's, you know, if we go on to look at other, other pieces of research or evidence um, that go on to support this. You know, this, again, a report on digital technologies um, from the Education Endowment Foundation. Point number two, technology can be used to improve the quality of explanations and modelling. I think the fact that, you know, teachers have embraced, not by choice necessarily, technology over the last 50 weeks, if not longer, you know, it helps teachers to work in new ways um, and provide opportunities to highlight their thinking, their schemas, um, and what they are doing to students to help the learning process. So I think that's that's key, certainly in the last um, year, if not longer. But if you go back a little bit further, um, this book here by Sean Allison and, and Andy Tharby, Making Every Lesson Count, they talked about expert teaching requiring, obviously, challenge and explanation, but modelling as well, being a cornerstone of effective teaching and learning so that students can apply knowledge and skills uh, deliberately um, to answer uh, and evidence their knowledge. And I think that that's massively important. We could go back even further again to uh, Barrett Rosenshine's Principles of Instruction, which again highlights strategies that you know, we all know uh, and we all do uh, you know, every lesson, and that's provide models to students. Um, so that they can see our thinking out loud and help build those mental models for themselves. And, you know, to support and, and underpin all of those ideas, again, is this um, report from the Education Endowment Foundation on metacognition and self-regulated learning. And one of their summary of recommendations, if we just zoom in, is number three, you know, model your own thinking to help students develop their metacognitive and cognitive skills within the classroom. So there's lots and lots of content that's out there that supports um, the ideas behind tonight's show. 
But as we all know, research is fantastic and it's great to have access to that. But um, I think what's most important is the teacher in the classroom because they are the people that know the students best um, they have the best working relationships with those students and they can make the decisions on the ground in the classroom for the benefit of the students there and then in the moment. So um, all of that aside, I'm really keen to welcome both Lua and Matt to the show. You can find Lua on Twitter. She's at Miss Lua underscore edu and Matt is at M Clark Science. So enough about me. Let's jump into our two guests. So I'm going to bring Lua and Matt straight into the show. Hello, Lua. Hi, Matt. Hi, how are you? Hi there. Thank you very much, both of you, for um, agreeing to come on the show tonight and share a little bit of your experiences over the last kind of 50 weeks and counting. Um, for those of our viewers that, that don't know you, Lua, could you just share a little bit about um, yourself, your journey in education so far, and your current context, please? Sure. So I am originally from South Africa and I've been a teacher for about 13 odd years now. Um, actually starting with um, upper elementary grade four and five back in South Africa, but then moving down to the lower grades. And then ever since being in um, grade two or grade three, coming here um, around, it was August 2015. And um, Initially only for two years, but I'm still here and it's year six. <laughs> so uh, I said that they they can kick me out if they don't want me here <laughs> anymore. So this is my second home. Um, my context, uh, South Africa, I worked in a public school, um, which was actually um, uh, our, my um, first language is actually Afrikaans. Um, and so that is an Afrikaans primary school. And then coming here teaching English full-time was also something that I had to adapt to. Um, and then um, I worked uh, with Attic first for the first four years being here in Abu Dhabi uh, in a small little town called Murfa in the Western region. <laughs> uh, wow. So no big city or uh, malls or movies or anything. <laughs> we had a co-op for our grocery store. Um, but it was a good it was a good experience um it was a really good school and well um led by the leadership team and um i left on a very good point uh, or stand with the with the slt team there and then wanted to expand um my way of teaching um maybe search for a different type of curriculum and i ended up at um, west Chess academy which is an american curriculum school uh, mm -hmm. part of all our academies. I've been there for almost two years now and um, we are inquiry-based uh, so it's all student-centered um, and student choice and see where they go uh, with our, our units of inquiry that we have and yeah that's that's where I am. Thank you. You've got a really interesting um, and kind of educational experience there across um, you know, different countries and different contexts. I'm, I'm really keen to kind of unpick some of those with you throughout the, the course of the show. Um, Matt, thanks for joining us. Um, regular on the show. Uh, for anyone that doesn't know, please could you, uh, you know, share a little bit about yourself, your journey so far and your current context, please. Uh, yes, yeah, so uh, Matt Clark, um, uh, trained in the UK and, and taught there for four or five years. Um, before getting itchy feet and, and coming out to Oman, so not quite UAE, but learn live Oman, <laughs> learn live Middle East. Um, and I've been here for five or six years, I think. I mean, I, I grew up abroad, I grew up in Kenya um, as a kid, and that's where I grew up, I had my own student experience. So the idea of being in an international community was appealed to me, um, and still does, and I'm still here, similar to Lua kind of came out not with, with just kind of maybe a short-term plan see what happens and I'm still here um, really enjoying it uh, I'm now the head of science at um, British School Muscat and done that for a couple of years uh, yeah it's obviously been a real challenging year this year um, but then again it kind of always is um, it's always a job that keeps you on your toes and there's always something to do maybe more so now um, than ever um, and just excited to uh, hear what other people are doing as well I share a bit as well yeah, I think that that's 
it's nice to hear you both say that. I came out here with the intention of two and I'm still here. Um, same for me, came out of two in the middle of my second contract now. Uh, don't plan on going anywhere anytime soon because it's, it, why would you want to be here? It's amazing. Um, to think, to I think, to I think that doesn't make sense. I think to add a current layer of context before we, we delve into um, how everyone approaches kind of modeling, could we um, just share, um, I guess our school's kind of digital ecosystem. So I work at the British International School of Abu Dhabi and we're a Microsoft Office school. Um, we use Office 365 and primarily teachers from year five upwards use OneNote. Um, students um, in years below that um, use Seesaw as a, a kind of primary um, dialogue communication tool between teachers. And Lua, what does your school use? So we are also in the process of becoming a Microsoft Showcase school. Um, so from grade four and up, it's bring your own device. Uh, grade four and five actually only started that now, um, coming back to school. And so, like I said earlier, it was a process today. But yes, they have their own devices and they use Microsoft Teams. And um, I think secondary and um, high school, they actually started using Blackboard. Uh, I don't know if you guys are aware of Blackboard and grade four and five are actually having their training for Blackboard now as well. But lower elementary, we also use Seesaw for most of our activities and assignments, but then we also use Microsoft Teams for our live lessons. Yeah, that's a really similar context to mine there. Um, Matt, uh, can you give us a little bit of an insight into how you, you guys are running things over in uh, BSM? Yeah, so uh, we're, we're on the Google side of things. So um, similar premise essentially, but we're at Google School and we, we started it just before, like maybe the year before lockdown and COVID and all of that, but no, we didn't really use it that much. And then then we were very glad that we had it. <laughs> um, and so suddenly everyone's got really good at Google um, using the classroom. So we have, if we're teaching online or if we're teaching hybrid, it's all through Google Meet within that ecosystem and Google Docs and everything. I still, I mean, I, I'm using a Microsoft Surface. Personally, I still like um, Microsoft Office rather than Docs, but I'm sure I'll get used to it one day. <laughs> yeah, I think, it's quite hard sometimes to um, uh, rip off the kind of safety plaster, isn't it, um, with certain tools? But ultimately, you know, they all facilitate us doing um, fairly similar things in the classroom. Um, Lua, if I could just sort of dive into you then, please, uh, and a couple of questions then. What sort of challenges in terms of modelling for students have, have you and teachers in your school faced um, in the last kind of 50 weeks, year? Yeah, it's it's a year. It's not just 50 weeks for me. Um, we have, um, in the beginning, in, in term one, most of our students were still online. And so we've only had a few students at school for in-class teaching, uh, which made it a bit difficult for us to model it because it's all new for us, right? We weren't sure about how, but then we also just started into, um, we just came out of just online teaching. So it was all new things that we had to get our heads around. Um, so we were actually able to free up, if you could call it free up, one of the grade three, we are four grade three teachers in um, our school. And so we were able to free up one of the teachers and they actually, um, uh, they were like a safeguarder in some of our hybrid lessons. So they would then take on the rest of the kids when the teacher introduced a new topic, um, they would uh, maybe talk about it a little bit. We would have our Padlet to um, see if they understood uh, previous knowledge from the uh, previous lesson, but then also link it to the new work. And then um, the students uh, or the teacher who was doing the hybrid lesson would then log off from the hybrid lesson and she would teach the class at school. And then I would go and I would teach the students online. It just made more sense because we had so many kids at home. So, And then we actually worked in smaller groups. So instead of having one long hour lesson with our students, which would probably be 70 students, we would um, divide them into the four classes um, students and then have 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 minutes with each of those kids. And then um, just explaining um, the activity that they have to do on Seesaw by modeling 
uh, how we do the first one. Okay, let's do it together. How do we do the first one? Grade three is really tiny still. Um, and then we would let them do their work individually. And then told that we like we told them that they can still um, come in on the lesson, ask if they don't understand. But if they are confident to do their work, they can go off and do it individually and then post it on. I've always been um, massive admirers or and a massive admirer of primary teachers. I, I don't know how you guys do it. I'm sure Matt and some viewers will back me up on this. But um, in for me, I just I think secondary is really easy. I, I find that it must be really challenging for, um, for primary teachers, teaching so many different subjects um, within your particular curriculum. Um, how then kind of fast or rewind back a year ago um, and then compare that to, to today, how has um, modelling particular concepts um, changed as a result of, of going from face-to-face -to, -face to then hybrid for you, Lua? Um So it's good for the students to see you. So it doesn't always help just to quickly upload a video that has to do with what they need to do. They need to see you model it. Or if you have a confident student in the classroom who knows how to do it, let them model it to their friends online. But they really need to see you do this because the most important thing is the connection. If they're not connected to their teacher, they're not really going to give their best with the activity. They're just going to give the minimum. Whereas if they can see that the teacher is passionate about this, and they really want to help them, they are focused and then um, they will even try at home. Like I can use one of my, um, it was mostly online, but uh, one of our inquiry lessons, uh, which is our science and our social studies that we combine uh, for last term was, or for the first six weeks was Bucky Weather, that was our unit. And then we were doing everything about the water cycle. And you can tell them as much as you like what the water cycle is and what each part does but actually doing an experiment with them on how it works makes them think mm -hmm. about it more and then makes them remember it more so we literally did our little science experiment with our water cycle in a bag and i showed them i had my little bag and i drew my little um cycle on the bag and then we poured in our water and then we we read the steps together so really doing it with them and showing them that it's not just their work but it's all of us together makes a big difference yeah i think that's a really important point that you raised there about not only relationships but um you know scaffolding it with them along the way um, I know that Matt has read uh, as, as well a, a recent book, uh, Teaching in the Online Classroom, um, Doug Lemoff, and, and those guys, um, the TLC guys, um, recognise um, that that's of massive importance to the students, that not only you recognise it, you kind of work along with them and, uh, and encourage them as they go. Um, I think that's really key. Matt, can I just jump across to, to yourself now? Um, you know, what challenges have you faced? Because totally different context, secondary students uh, comparative to primary um, and Google rather than Microsoft, if, if you want to um, point that out. Yeah, um, like I think I think probably the first thing is just like everything has been a challenge for everyone. Like every everything has had to change. Um, and I think probably one of the biggest things as teachers, I'm not sure we're particularly good at accepting um, doing things second best or not not as good as we know that they could be and, and I think the biggest challenge just in general for any anything modeling or any kind of part of online or hybrid learning is that sometimes um, we're stuck and we can't we can't do as good a job as we would normally do in the classroom um, we're learning on the job as we go whereas before we've had however many years of teaching practicing the same thing and then suddenly um, so I think for me, that's been hard because um, I. So in the last few years, I've got quite excited, re-excited, really I guess, about um, developing my own kind of teaching, uh, mainly through Twitter and people like Ollie that I've met online and things like that. Um, and so we've kind of had a journey where we at PSN we went online, um, kind of on well, we Saturday night we were told, oh, you're online forever tomorrow. Um, so we quickly switched to that, and then we started having some of our our year 11s and our year 13 students coming in 
Um, and then everyone else was at home or just coming in every other week. So we kept swapping. Then we changed again. So a few more year groups came in and some were totally online. Then more came in and now we've got half of each year group coming in and out the year seven, eight and nine. So every, every kind of three or four weeks, it's a different system. And that's been a challenge. Um, but I think whilst teachers obviously don't like um, or they're uncomfortable with, with doing a bad job or like a, not a bad job and not as good as they would like, that means people have been really good at just figuring things out and sharing stuff. So um, not through it, not necessarily like a really dedicated program or anything, but just people have like kind of been forced to share, oh, we've just tried this and literally that kind of informal grassroots PD between colleagues yeah. has flourished. And I think um, that's been great. And it's not specifically about modeling, but uh, yeah. Well, it, it kind of feeds into that as well. I think that that's something that I've always been massively proud of about the, the teaching profession is, you know, everyone is, is willing to share what they're doing to help their fellow human being out. And I think that that's, you know, that, that resonates with a lot of, of people, not just educators, that we're all in it together and we want to do the best job that we can possibly do for the students in front of us, whether they're FS1 or, or Year 13. Um, in terms then, Matt, of um, kind of how was your modelling concept and, and how have you gone through that, that sort of change? I remember you shared um, a, a while back um, how you felt overloaded, um, like many of us did at the start. Um, kind of a year ago compared to now, um, how, how have you kind of adapted your modelling um, through a hybrid approach? Um, so I think what, so what you're, a while ago I shared this idea of when, when you're explaining something, um, kind of trying to reduce your own cognitive load by having, having really clear um, slide design, I guess, almost. And this idea of in the classroom, it's really important to focus your students' attention to what you're talking about and, and nothing else. And that's actually quite hard to do in a classroom where you have the ability to gesture and literally direct them to what you're talking about. And then suddenly online or hybrid, um, that becomes way more difficult because um, you don't, all you've got is maybe your, your, your voice and your head on the screen. Um, you can't gesture quite so much. And, and you've got the students at home um, who I'm sure don't have their phones anywhere near them, but it's pretty likely they've got distractions everywhere and you are trying to hold their distraction on a screen, um, which is most phones and, and laptops are designed to distract them. <laughs> by all these other good companies that get paid loads of money to do it. So it's a real <laughs> tough challenge. Um, so I think even more so this idea of when I'm modeling something um, and starts moving on from explanations is doing everything really slowly, step by step, and haven't thought about it beforehand. So I'd like start with a completely blank screen. Um, the beauty of being forced online and digital is that now I've got a tablet with a stylus and I can draw and annotate things. So if you start from scratch and then you can, and they follow along, um, as long as you thought about it beforehand, that's been um, really good. And I think, that, again, you were saying, I don't know how primary school students do it, um, and primary school teachers, like students aren't digital natives. Um, like you look, at, you look at their ability to use the Google ecosystem and we think as teachers we're learning, or well, so are they, and, and they, don't, they don't know how to do it. So even just how to hack, and in an assignment or how to how to submit a piece of work or take a picture on their phone in the context of their social media and whatever else they're fine but in the context of schoolwork they need modeling just for the systems before you can get into modeling how to do some sort of physics practice equation or something um, but simple like the idea of keeping everything as simple as possible zero distractions even more so than you would normally um, has been really useful and I think our carry that on even when I go back well when I'm, I am back in the classroom a lot more now so that's that's helped me and the idea of if you're going to develop and put time and energy into doing something that's going to help you with your hybrid or your online you want to choose something that is also going to help you face to face um, and kind of be yeah. more smart about what you do yeah it's, it's been a really good learning journey I think for, for a lot of us um, over the last year to really kind of strip back and refine what we do 
um, in terms of the sort of processes of going through modeling a concept to student and, and making those um, resources, because I guess what that's what they are within our ecosystem work for us. Um, any advice then on, you know, we're all in the same boat, regardless of our ecosystem. We've got some students that might be in front of us in the classroom. Some might be in an overflow room down the corridor um, and some might be at home. So we're not just teaching a kind of one dimensional class. We could be teaching two or three dimensions. So um, any advice from, from either of you on, on how to um, what's worked well for you in that particular setting? Well, um, PowerPoints are great, but they don't always work. So um, you can have the best PowerPoints with the nicest pictures and you can sit for hours making them. And um, sometimes the kids don't even really see what is on them. So like Matt said, it's really important to start with like very simple, but make it as attractive as possible for them. And then um, I can share one example. We were we were online, but um, we had an expert come in for our wacky weather, um, a guy who does uh, weather forecasts in the UAE. And um, though we were all online, all four grade three classes were um, in this one meeting with all their teachers. And then we had Mr. Howard who came in and he explained without PowerPoint, without um, pictures really shown on, he just sat there and just uh, spoke to them on their level. And then the kids were hanging on his lips, you know, they were really into what he was saying. So you don't always have to be the teacher. Uh, yes, you you are the teacher, of the, you are the um, classroom teacher. And yes, most of the time you will be the one teaching, but you don't always have to be. It can be an interactive video. Um, that you all look at together and then you discuss it. Um, it can be an expert coming in talking about, we talked about the weather. So 10 minutes and then have a, a takeaway from there. And then yeah, just simple but um, attractive, should I say, simple but attractive. And also um, it's not always about what you have it's really about how you get, how do you take this unit further? And so important to bring prior learning uh, into things. If they don't know what the new, if they don't know what your previous topic was about, they're not gonna link it to your new topic. So it's really important to have the prior learning there. Yeah, I'm really pleased that you said that, Lua, because I think it comes back to something that, that kind of Matt said there. I think teachers inherently feel like we have to do everything ourselves. And there are so many amazing resources out there that we can draw on and, and you know, by reaching out to um, someone to help you open up the curriculum. Um, I think that that's, you know, modeling good practice to your colleagues as well as um, opening up the curriculum to the students so that then you can um, really drive that enthusiasm from them around the particular uh, concepts that you're um, you're learning. Um, Something that I've certainly found, um, I won't say it has worked because I'm still in the process of doing that, but um, my team and I have been working a little bit at BISAD on Oracy um, in the science department. And I know that there was a brilliant blog um, posted about teaching into the void, which is what, what it can feel like um, when you know, you've got lots of students in different locations, not so much the students in the room in front of you, but um, if, if you're fully online or um, students, you know, down the hall that don't necessarily want to uh, open up and, and talk and discuss. And through using the um, Oracy 21 or Voice 21, sorry, um, discussion roles, I've found that getting students to actually just talk with structured talk has been massively beneficial um, for me and, and my team because it helps us not only unpick their learning and, and where misconceptions might be, but it just gets them engaged in the content. Um, so that would be sort of my one little tip um, to anybody out there is, is try and use um, stuff that's already out there that can get the students not only engaged, but going back to that idea about relationships and collaborating with one another, because I think that that's massively important. And we do feel quite often like we've just got to shoulder everything. 
um, as a teacher and that's that's not always the most effective for students um matt if i can come to you next then um, well anything to add to that or, or you want to pick apart i just think well just um like hybrid learning in particular i think is probably the most difficult of them so uh when we first started being 100 percent online everyone didn't like that and was really excited about going back to school um, and then, but we got used to it and we developed ways of doing it. And then when we started doing hybrid and, and I have to confess, I'm, I'm fortunate in most of the classes that I teach personally, uh, either almost, uh, either hundred percent online. Cause we, um, we have a, this thing called flex like I said, where we're teaching some school, uh, school down in Salala as well. We're helping them out with their GCSE curriculum. Mm-hmm. So that's hundred percent online and the other end of the country, um, or they're in front of me, but most of my team actually have classes where they've got 15 at home and 15 in front of them and every week it swaps now um and that is the hardest because it's hard to to give attention both ways um uh in in terms of really practical things i mean i'm i'm clearly not the expert but having having a second screen having a second monitor as a as a teacher is is a game changer and we're fortunate now that we do have that so that just gives you a real vision you can have all the other students up there as long as you convince them to get their cameras on which is sometimes a struggle um but you so see you've got them there and, and whatever you're doing teaching here and then um and this is where it's just about developing a routine where you can kind of if you're doing your questioning then you're looking to you're asking to the ones at home and you're asking to the ones there mm-hmm. and so everything that you're doing you're trying to think of a way that it's equally applicable to those in front of you and those not and if it isn't then it's a should you be doing it in this context because as long as you can explain something question students model it and then let them practice you don't you probably need to strip those things down i think um but again it's real hard <laughs> and it's never going to be as good so it always comes back to that you and that's what i guess my role because i'm a head of science is, is to try and support my team as much as possible but also let them know that it's okay not not to to feel like they're doing it, like because they feel really bad you know they're, they're struggling and they feel bad because they're like i didn't answer, ask that kid a question and i did anyone even speak to them all day and all of these things and it's about um just supporting each other and reminding each other to it's okay but now how can we how can we get a little bit better at it um one of our teachers is has gone and um, they said i was talking about so we used to have lollipop sticks that they painted and put the people's names on and then it became tech because it was a random name generator but it's the same principle but she's gone back to doing that because it's a really nice visual thing where the kids at home can see the lollipop sticks in her thing and know that if their name comes out, they're going to ask, ask, be asked a question and the kids in front of her as well. Um, and she's found that really useful. So there's, you probably already know the things that you can do. It's just a, what's the simplest way of doing it. Sorry, can yeah. I just to that? Yeah, I can do it. I was also wanting to say that Maslow before Bloom, we really need to focus on those relationships, um, the kids' mental health. Um, sometimes you have this whole hybrid lesson plan and it ends up just being a chat about their pets. <laughs> that happens often in a third grade class, okay? Um, but <laughs> it's necessary. Um, I remember at the end of um, the six weeks before I met him, my kid, the kids just wanted to see my animals in my house because they would hear it sometimes in our lessons and then I would I would shift the lesson aside and we would talk about our animals because that's what they needed at that moment you really need to know what your students need at that moment and sometimes it's not a math lesson or a science lesson sometimes it's just talking about being kind to one another you know or how can we reach out to people being in this pandemic um, so yeah, it's not always about the blooms. It's sometimes about the Maslow. Yeah, I think that's really important, isn't it? That something that I said to my students this morning, the first time that I'd seen them um, this academic year was, um, "You guys are a part of history. No one's ever done what you've done. So like, well done." Um, I know that it hasn't been easy, but you guys are amazing. You've made it. We're back in the building. Um, you know let's concentrate on human first and it didn't actually teach him anything we just talked exactly like you because i think that's exactly what they needed they hadn't actually been in a room with their friends 
um, for months and months on end. Maybe they head outside of school, I don't know. But, you know, to be in a classroom, you can't uh, underestimate the, the power of just being in a room with all of those students. It's hugely important. Um, we've had a question come in. Um, so uh, it would be remiss of me not to ask it. And it's it's from uh, excellent co-host. What are your thoughts about students modelling as a part of a revision or retrieval process? So I'll open that up to either of you. I'm not sure I understand what he means by modeling, to be honest. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> like, can you give an example of what you mean? Um, so he, he's, uh, he's followed that up with, yes, that's why I asked what I did. Uh, students taking their own work and making revision playlists, for example. So um, I saw something on, on Twitter today where a, a science teacher had given um, his a highly able um, year 11 uh, physics class, oh, five or six images and said, right, I want you guys to make me a, a 30 mark test um, with mark scheme um, that um, mirrors or that you could use these images for. So it's, it's students evidencing their learning via either models or, or creation of content um, in order to um, evidence to you and, and their peers, uh, their learning. So any thoughts on that? Good thing, bad thing? Um, I think, well, I think I, I, I'm initially quite wary of that as, a, as an idea. Um, I mm -hmm. think because I think there's a, a place for it one, so a very able group of year 11s who are now kind of moving from novice to more expert learners, if they're doing some of this revision, so they're really good at what they're doing then I think the modeling and that sort of thing can be a really good idea. But I think for most students in most of secondary school, to be honest, it's it's unlikely that they have enough of a big picture to be able to do that sort of thing really well. And then the danger is that they get caught up in in making the model and whatever it is um, and, and the surface kind of features of their model. And they're not spending as much time thinking about the deeper actual like understanding of the concepts. Um, so I think there's a place for it. Um, and when you can get there, then it's brilliant and it's awesome. You know, that's that's our end goal for our students is we want them to be at that level. But I think there's got to be a whole lot of scaffolding structure like yeah. kind of, and modeling um, for quite a long time, probably more than you think as a teacher until you start to slowly take that scaffolding away. And then you can do that. Um, but I think probably, to be honest, more often than not, you, you're doing it too soon and, and, and they aren't quite ready for it and it's maybe not the best use of time. Um, but that's my slightly cynical thoughts. Louis, <laughs> uh, do, you, do you want to add anything to that? Are you in agreement I also believe that there is a time and a place for it. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's a little different in the elementary um, sector. Um, it could be something simple like, um, I remember when in term one, I was actually teaching one of the kids, we were um, actually explore, uh, exploring iMovie on our iPads. And um, the first group, uh, or the, some of the students were absent the one day. And so the kids who were in class, they I went through them on the whole scaffolding process on how to make this iMovie uh, for themselves. And they could do anything. I, I gave them free choice about what it could be about. But we went through the process of you need to choose what you want to do. You need to. So just the four steps of what you need to do before you can actually make your movie. And so the next day, uh, a few of the students were back in, in class uh, with us that were absent the previous day. And I actually asked one of the students if they can remember those four steps. And they, they told me, first individually, they told me how, what the four steps are and how to work it. And then I, when I understood that this student knows exactly how to do this and how to explain it to the classroom, I asked the student to go to a group and say, okay, this is what you need to do. This is how we will work with this program. And then explain the four steps to them. And in the end, those students were able to make their own iMovie. So... It really depends on what you are teaching. Um, it doesn't have to be a 30-question um, retrieval yeah. practice. It could literally be two questions. Um, and so we actually do use it a lot in elementary because that's how our students learn better. Um, is 
a simple thing on um we would read a story and then we would encourage the students to ask questions about the story to their friends like in our uh, on our team's lessons we would ask them to use in the chat as a um, question and answer uh, answer feature so if they feel that they have a good question about the, the passage that we're reading they can pop it into the chat and then whoever else feels that they are confident answering that question can also answer in the chat or raise their hand and then answer like that so small little bit of part yes yeah, so yeah to be oh go on man so i was go doing on. this actually today with my my year 12 students um so we were, we're at the end of a, a topic with our with on electricity um and it's definitely not my work but i stole it off off a guy on twitter who's i'm just trying to find um what his handle is on twitter there's, a, there's an american um physics teacher who makes these incredible um like google born breakout rooms is it Joe Cazette? I knew it was Joe someone. Yeah, yeah. Um, so massive shout out to that. It's awesome. So they were doing this this breakout room where they have to work in teams of three or four and solve various physics problems about electricity to get out. Um, but we, I've spent ages giving them open-ended problems, modeling my thought process about how I would approach a question and work it out. Um, but today, I literally just got to sit there and almost just watch them. And it was the best thing ever, listen to them argue or help each other and go and talk each other through the physics, because that's where we want them to get to. Um, so, but it was like, I guess in the valley, it was at the end of a topic, once they were kind of more expert, and then they really, that's when they probably learned loads as well, because they started to work together. That's the level we want them to be at. Um, but it takes lots of planning, hard work, and finding someone else's good resources on Twitter um, <laughs> to, to get there. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd just add into that. Uh, Mark said to, to caveat all this is it's something that he used to do occasionally with Key Stage Four or Five. But um, you know, as you saw before, he said that scaffolding is key. Um, so the, the you know the teacher building up um, that knowledge is obviously hugely important before you get to this point where once you've taught something and you're you're confident the students really have a good depth of knowledge around that you can then ask them to create that um, that artifact whether it be digital or not and I, I remember on a, a recent show. Um, Mark shared some of uh, one of his son's own work. Um, he'd made a little video on Adobe Spark video about the moon, and it was it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant piece of work. Um, but I think what what he was getting at, and some of my questions that have been getting at, is, is giving students the opportunity to just demonstrate what they've been taught, and that's exactly what um, you guys have both given in your examples so far today. Whether it be for either um, revision or something to drive agency amongst the students like a digital escape room that's um, authentic um, like creating their own water cycle or just through oracy just talking about subject matter I, I think I personally think there's a place for all of that um, within the classroom once we get to the right um, kind of foundational point so uh, I'm on Mark's side on this one probably no surprises there um, but I think secretly both of you are as well, just a little bit. Um, I'm mindful of time. We're, we're at quarter two now, and I've still got a couple of questions that um, I'd like to um, sort of uh, discuss with you both. Um, we've kind of navigated quite a few different things. Although the show was, was about modelling, I think we've looked at the importance of um, uh, relationships within the classroom and collaboration and, and uh, wider working groups and how we might... Um, navigate students in front of you as well as being away in, in different rooms or, or different buildings altogether. Um, so I'd just like to, um, I'm just scrolling through my uh, mental thought processes here right now. Um, what advice then, if you, if you could give one or two people, um, no, one or two people, one or two pieces of advice um, in terms of teaching in a kind of hybrid context, apart from you don't don't feel like you have to do everything yourself um uh what would they be and why uh, and i'll open that up to to either of you deviating slightly here from the questions i think um so you need to first of all you need to figure out what what context your students are, are working in um so so for example some the students that i teach down in salala the other end of muscat 
they're part of this FlexEd program that we're running and they've all got a Chromebook as part of that and therefore they all have a device that has a stylus. Um, and that really opens things up. So if that's your context, I pick, pick your one tool that you're going to use to model and just pick one uh, and, and persevere with it because um, there's lots of different options. I use um, Whiteboard FI as a mini whiteboard tool um, where you can see what they do kind of live and you can push stuff to their whiteboards as well. It works really well, I think, as, as long as you have a stylus, you can draw. So I've been able to watch them or model how to like draw covalent bonding diagrams and ionic bonding diagrams and then literally watch 12 of them do it live on my screen and then I can pause them and, and go over and they can start to model to each other why that was a good one and why not. Um, but that only works because they all have a, a, a device and a stylus, yeah. whereas some classes I teach don't. Um, so you can't do that. And so I think you've got to start with what, what technology or device or do the students have, pick one tool that you're going to then use that is appropriate, um, rather than just going and hearing that everyone's using this new thing and it's the new best thing. Is it appropriate for what your students have? Is it? It might not be. Um, and so you've got to be quite discerning, I think. I think that's a really important point that, that um, we've talked about this before as well, haven't we, Matt? Uh, um, get really good at one thing. Quite often you hear people sort of, um, whether it's a, a conference or, or wherever, just sort of say, oh, I'm, we're now doing this and it works really well. And they've not really been doing it for, you know, not even a month. Um, I'd like to think that, that many teachers out there now have, have been consistently using and making those marginal gains with one or two things over the last kind of two years that have actually had a real impact and influence on learning for the students. Um, Lua, how about yourself? What, what one piece of advice would you give from a, a, a primary context? And that's kind of still my point. <laughs> I do agree with Matt. Um, really know what your students um, are working with and then from there plan your lessons because I have students with a laptop, I have students with an iPad and it really doesn't always work all that well together. But then another thing is for little ones, they need routine and it's really important to keep to that routine for them. Um, we have many different platforms that we do use in our school and um, they're not always effective, but the routine stays the same. So um, it's very important. I, we do a morning meeting in the morning and then we share the schedule for the day, what they need to do on Seesaw, um, when the live lessons will be um, for the rest of the day, and then we sign off and then we start with the rest of the school time. So it's really important to have that routine in the morning, um, like I said, especially for the little ones because they need to know exactly what they have to do mm. step by step. Yeah, and that, you know, I guess that that's part of your scaffold, your model, isn't it? That it's that rhythmic routine through each day um, that's, that's massively important to them. Um, we've, we're kind of 10 minutes out from finishing and I've, I've still got two or three questions. Um, so we're going to dive into them. Um, what's your favourite EdTech tool and why? Um, first question, we'll, we'll go to Lua. So a lot of people use a lot of different things. I must say that um, one of the best buys was my iPad stand <laughs> because in online lessons, you can't just use one screen. You need that second screen like Matt also said earlier. And so I use my iPad to actually see who is raising their hand, who is um, typing a question in the chat, who is answering in the chat, and then I will present with my laptop. So it's not really EdTech, but it helps with the EdTech. <laughs> So that's my it still favorite. takes the tech, and that's just as important. Yeah. Um, on that note, let's give a little shout out to all of the uh, IT departments across the land and globe, because um, without those guys, uh, our jobs would be incredibly difficult. Um, they certainly do help facilitate support teachers uh, everywhere. So big shout out to IT teams everywhere. Matt, how about yourself? Um, favorite EdTech tool and why? Um, I think a digital stylus, nothing more complicated than that, but it just gives you the ability um, to digitally ink on things. And I think that's a game changer because you can make what you're doing look exactly what your students are doing and you don't have to lose it. It 
safe and you can send and do it do with it what you will and i think as the more people that become comfortable with that better off i think we'll all be and i think lots of us have been forced into that and then suddenly quite like it um so i think it's awesome yeah my i'm going to share mine mine's one note i think um probably no surprise to many of you i just think in terms of like a digital exercise book i think it's so good for a whole variety of reasons you know you can share documents really easily with students on there you can review student work really easily you can review work faster the time that it would take you to go through a stack of books and find the right page and then mark it one one note it's you know one or two clicks you're there um so you're saving on efficiency there you can include voice notes within it which i know you could do previously if you went and printed off some qr codes and then uploaded your audio to, you know you're saving efficiency times there you can include videos of other people um, or other work to share with your students and then i just think it that you know i could go on and on and on you can use translate within it and um, for any eal or esl learners that you might have so for me microsoft OneNote is um, my absolute favorite um, edtech tool and it would be um, remiss of me to not give OneNote a little bit of a shout out i know it's um thought of very highly in the education community and there's a reason for that um but i won't jabber on about the awesomeness of one note um too much longer <laughs> yeah, yeah. um yeah. some of us in google schools and we have to do without it but i still use it <laughs> well, mark awesome. shared i'd never heard of it until mark shared it moat and um, what you want to yeah. you want to get your subscription from moat and then you can include audio feedback in within yeah we used to use that for a while and then you get and you get subscription you, you can use a lot you can have a longer voice note um and then it, then then the time goes down a bit but um it's a real easy way of doing audio feedback i, th I think it's a massively useful tool that um kind of sorry i have another one can i have another one <laughs> yeah go for it why not we actually use canva quite a bit um we use it for our um, digital portfolios for our students. So at the end of the term, with the report, we will have this digital portfolio. And it's all about the 21st century skills that we add in there. So they make their little videos and they share the work that they feel um, goes with the different things like a communicator or an innovator. And then we put them all on Canva. Um, Canva is amazing. I use it a lot for many of my PowerPoints um, or just little notes that I share with the kids online as well. So yeah, that's my secret. And in order to get to that point, you must have done a whole heap of modeling of not only how to use that as a tool, but also through learning journey. So it's, it's great evidence there of um, all of your work impacting on the students' work. Um, I, I think that um, kind of, um, as you've said, the digital artifacts are really important for students in, in this day and age, certainly moving forwards. Um, I, th I think we could do a whole different show on on um, those sorts of various tools. Um, we're five minutes from finishing, um, Lua, Matt. So that brings me to my, my last question, which is um, what reading has influenced your thinking around kind of online learning, hybrid learning, and or influenced you as an educator? Okay, I'll go. <laughs> so I'm actually reading a book right now called Educated by Design, um, who uh, the guy is called the Tech Rabbi. I don't know if you guys, uh, you guys have heard of him. He is really, um, really, really good. Um, and he talks all about creativity and education. And that he, uh, one of his um, uh, quotes is, "Creativity is not a mind; it is a mindset. It's not a talent. So it's all about you developing your creativity um, in education." And he says, "Every educator is a designer because we have to design lessons every day." And so. Um, uh, yes, that's really influenced um, a lot of how I do my lessons um, or how I look at things and how I um, look at how kids can make it um, more like they can create more uh, creative um, assignments or activities. And then also for um, the um, mental health or um, kindness side, I um, read the book, The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and the Horse, which is actually just a book by Charlie Maxey. And um, sometimes you just need those little quotes to get you through a rough day. And so I also share them with the students and we have discussions about them. And it's 
yeah, so those two books are really um, an influence in my life right now. I love that you um, share that with your students. So you're modeling positive behaviors there um, in what can, as we all know, be quite difficult circumstances when you're, you're in a mixture of kind of online, not online, one minute, the next, you might be hybrid. Um, reminds me a little bit there of a, um, a quote that's always stuck with me by Sir Ken Robinson. Um, if you've never watched his um, TED talk on our schools killing creativity or something along those lines, it's brilliant. But the, the quote that I've always remembered is, imagination is the source of all human achievement. And I think that that's really important because we've been really creative, imaginative over the last year, not only in, in terms of designing how we're going to um, share our knowledge with students, but also engaging the students in um, the context that we find ourselves in. Um, Matt, any learning that uh, reading that, that has sort of influenced you in your journey thus far? Um, a few things. I think in terms of just like specific stuff on hybrid teaching, the, the Doug Lemmock TLAC blog um, is, is, is a real good place to go and look because it's got yeah. videos of teachers in classrooms doing stuff and their kind of commentary on why what they're doing works so that's really I found that really helpful um, but I kind of want to go back to what Lou was saying and it really resonates with me in terms of actually it's about um, showing empathy and kindness to our students at a time when they need it more than ever um, one of the books I read oh, it was a little while ago it was called A Quiet Education by Jamie Tom and it's talking about um, the introverts in our schools and the school is actually quite an extrovert place by nature and this idea that um, we need to give time and space for our students and one of the nice things maybe about the online and the hybrid learning is that it's allowed other students to maybe be more vocal in the classroom through the chat or through something because the format has changed um, and we found when our students have come back to school it's still taken a while I had my year 10s and for a few weeks because I didn't really I hadn't ever met them except for online as a, as a class. I hadn't really taught many of them before. Um, but, and they were all still sat there in their, in their rows and they still didn't talk to each other. And it, and it took, it's taken months now before now there's a bit of chatter between them. And so I think we need to, I guess, model um, how, to, how to be with other people, how to be kind, how to build relationships, um, how to look out for each other. And I think actually that trumps everything. I know I get kind of, excited and bogged down in the technical uh, how to model or explain something really physically or geeky but actually um that's maybe our primary purpose isn't that and and more than ever now we need to be looking out for our students as um just kind of people and growing that yeah that's uh, that's a lovely kind of point to to go full circle on really isn't it that um, we can't forget that yes we are there to share our knowledge but that's not necessarily always a, a subject domain knowledge isn't it it's it's interactions on a, on a kind of base level as uh, as fellow human beings and, and modeling those behaviors with our colleagues and with those students as well and I think that that's um, massively important um, thank you both so much I, I make it um, one minute to nine I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, our discussion tonight Lua and Matt thank you so much uh, for giving up your time to, to come and share your experiences um, and your thoughts if anyone wants to um, find Lua and Matt continue the conversation or, or follow them on Twitter um, you can see their their Twitter handles uh, next to their names uh, so please do uh, follow them they're, they're always sharing great pearls of wisdom um, and uh, as a side note uh, Lua and I met through EdTech UAE um, so that's uh, teachers in the, the Middle East um, that are involved in all sorts of digital things in their school meeting up to do exactly what we've done tonight which is just um, share what's worked what's working for them and where they're going with um, kind of digital strategies and, and tools in their classroom so do please get involved in that as well um, but before I, I play the final little video um, just a, a little shout out uh, to you both again thank you so much for this evening it's been an absolute pleasure uh, and I look forward to a little chat with you both uh, once we, we go off air. Um, so thank you again. Thanks, Ali.
Thanks for tuning into this episode of Learn Live UAE. If you're listening to this and you would like to watch the show back on YouTube, you can visit our channel at www.youtube.com forward slash Learn Live UAE and you can subscribe to our channel there so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening.